Hello, my friends. Today I take you through a World Economic Forum video that's really weird and really creepy. It starts off by saying you're going to have no property and you're going to love it. And it just gets weirder from there. Now, it's a video with no speaking. The words are on the screen, but I will sort of explain what goes on. I won't read the words out loud. This is a perfect example where I'd love it if you had a subscription to Rebel News Plus, which is the video version of this podcast. You can get that by going to rebelnews.com and clicking subscribe. It's only eight bucks a month. And uh, we put a lot of effort into the video side of things. So I think you'd get a real kick out of it. And um, I think you'll enjoy the podcast anyways. But the video version is even better. And with that subscription, you get weekly shows from Sheila Gunn-Reed and David Menzies, too. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, the world government types want you to own nothing. I'll show you their bizarre propaganda video. It's November 10th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. I came across this tweet last week, but the U.S. election was obviously too important to stop to talk about anything else. It's a tweet published by the World Economic Forum which is the billionaires get together in Davos, Switzerland every year. It's where Trudeau went in January of 2016, right after he was elected for his sit down with George Soros and Christia Freeland was sitting right there too. I read somewhere that had she not been elected to parliament, she would have gone on to become Soros's personal biographer. So they're pretty tight. And there was Trudeau fully synchronizing with Soros's agenda. It's not a conspiracy theory. Trudeau published the photo himself. And later that year, Trudeau actually signed a contract with George Soros' Open Societies Foundation contracting with that foreign globalist lobby group to write Canadian immigration and open borders policies. Now, I should tell you the image we're showing you is a cached version, that means a saved version, of the Government of Canada webpage of this contract between Soros and Trudeau, because just in the last few months, after having been freely available on the internet for four years, suddenly the government of Canada deleted that website. That's odd, isn't it? Anyways, my point is this. There are conspiracy theories, and then there are, I don't know, conspiracy facts. And a lot of those are hatched at the World Economic Forum in Davos. It's not a government organization. It has no official powers, but it's where the likes of Justin Trudeau goes to get his marching orders. And to peacock for the world's woke globalists. Uh, incredibly proud uh, to have a partner in my wife Sophie who is uh, extremely committed to women and girls issues but she took me aside a few months ago and said okay uh, it's great that you're engaged and modeling to your daughter that you want her empowered and everything but you need to take as much effort to talk to your sons, my eight-year-old boy and my two-year-old, so a little young still, uh, about how he treats women and how uh, he is going to be grow up to be a feminist just like dad. And by the way, we shouldn't be afraid of the word feminist. Yeah. Men and women mm. should use it to describe themselves <laughs> anytime they want. I'm not sure if even the folks at Davos still believe, believe that, um, that that groper is a feminist, uh, but they don't care. As long as he follows their direction on everything from the UN's view on global warming, to the UN's view on the coronavirus pandemic, to the UN's view on global migration. They don't care that he gets a bit handsy now and then. 
Obviously, this is a, a situation that has been very much on my mind over the past uh, few weeks. It's a uh, issue that I have been deeply engaged with, not just as a leader, but all my life since, uh, since my early 20s in university, uh, active on issues around sexual assault and, uh, and behaviors. I've been uh, reflecting very carefully on what I remember from that incident almost 20 years ago. Uh, and again, I, am, I feel, I am confident that I uh, did not act inappropriately. But part of this awakening that we're having as a society, a long-awaited uh, realization, is that it's not just uh, one side of the story that matters that the same interactions could be experienced very differently um, from one person to the next. So that's the World Economic Forum and its annual Bacchanalia at Davos, Switzerland. And that's who tweeted this old tweet from 2016, almost exactly four years ago, just after Trump won his first win. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. This is how our world could change by 2030. Read more. As you can see, the date on the bottom there. So that thing was online for four years also, but I'm, I, I went to do my show on it today, and poof, it's gone. It's gone. I can't believe it. And the video is gone too, just like the Soros press release is gone from that website on the Government of Canada page where it's been for four years. That's weird. Now, similar videos are on other pages, and um, our intrepid producer, Justin, has found a copy that someone had made of the video before it was deleted. I'm not saying it's deleted from every single place in the world. I just find it weird that, it, that they tweeted it, and that tweet was up for four years, and then it was just taken down last week. I don't know. That's strange, don't you think? So I'm going to show you um, the video that was on that tweet, because I want you to see what they're talking about, those masters of the universe who meet behind closed doors with George Soros and Justin Trudeau. Let me show you the video that was on that link. I'll play it through once, and then again with some comments. Here, watch, this is what was deleted after four years online.
<laughs> All right, let's look at that again. Here's the first part. Are those really predictions or is it a prescription? Their plan, their hopes. Pretty clear it's what they want, what they're working towards. Here's the next part. So no property, nothing to keep, nothing to inherit, nothing to bequeath to your own kids, nothing that is a, an expression of you, your work, your beliefs, just stuff that Jeff Bezos will lend to you and until you miss a payment or violate some terms of service or I don't know if the crap breaks down. Imagine owning nothing, not just for the poverty, but not just for the inability to accumulate prosperity for yourself and your family, not just to take away incentives for so much of life, but just the things around us that have meaning, the little things that we own that are ours alone and that have value, not because of their cost, but because they have no price, keepsakes, mementos. What creep thought of no property? I suppose that's a cool way of saying communism? I don't know, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy about it? Even the communists lied. Their motto was peace, land, bread, as in you could have the land, you could have the bread. Only the Soros World Economic Forum would say, you'll get nothing and you'll be happy. Now smile, here's some more. America will fall. Again, that's their hope. They hate America. And not just hating Trump, which they do. They hate the American idea of freedom. They hate a place where people ignore what the UN says. They hate a place that isn't compliant. Most of the people going to Davos made their billions from America, Soros being the main one. But that doesn't mean they want to allow mere citizens to have the same benefits. Remember, Trudeau's own former ambassador to China, uh, John McCallum, said that Canada has more in common with communist China than with America under Trump. They believe this, they want this. All right, here's some more. I find that really gross, the idea of manufacturing people is repulsive to me. I'm all for medicine. I'm all for saving lives. We have problems with the lack of organ donors. I grant that, I just find the arrogance of billionaires wanting to play God, a bit repulsive. But seriously, if you were 90 years old, George Soros, he's 90, I could see you spending, I don't know, maybe even billions of your own dollars to try to invent artificial body parts so you could live forever. These people think they're gods. Now watch the gross transition here. They showed you a human organ. And look now, same shape, same color. They go to showing meat and condemning the fact that you eat it. That juxtaposition there was purposeful and it was gross. Of course, you think for a second that the billionaires of the world will stop their lifestyle and eat plant-based burgers and plant-based steaks and other things they're pushing on the rest of us, not for a second. For millennia, the world has been malnourished. Even in the West, it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that people ate properly. As late as 1850, there were famines in the West, like the Irish potato famine. The idea that we would be wealthy enough as people to eat meat every day is so new and such a sign of societal success. It's extremely new in places like, I don't know, China. And now that's gonna be just a treat, 
that if the bosses like us, they'll let us have some if we're good boys and girls and comply with them. Here's the next clip. Did you see what they did there? I mean, the absurd idea that there will be a billion climate refugees. What, what a laugh. How do you even come up with that absurd number? But they roll that right into mass open borders migration. Hey, guys, we have to flood your country with a billion people. I mean, the climate made us do it. What can you do? You see all that smoke in those smokestacks? Yeah, they showed that because it looked really, really dirty, really polluting, but they were talking about carbon dioxide, which is colorless, odorless, harmless. In fact, it's plant food. That was not CO2 they were showing. And fossil fuels being history? Well, here's a report uh, six months into the pandemic. Look at that chart. Oil demand rose slightly, but slowly but steadily from when that World Economic Forum video was published in 2016. You can see year after year. In fact, it cracked 100 million barrels of oil per day. Now, it's true shutting down the world for the pandemic did reduce oil use by about 5%. But it's already bouncing back. It's expected to climb by another 4 million barrels per day next year. So that's 1.2 billion more barrels of oil demand next year than this year. Let me remind you, this was a video that the World Economic Forum made in 2016. It's almost 2021. So if no one's going to use oil anymore, you'd better get cracking on that. All right, here's more. I like space exploration, I guess. It's the kind of thing that makes people think of great adventures of science and industry and pride and achievement. It was a great American moment and a rebuke of the Soviets when Kennedy launched the space race. It's no wonder that it's been 50 years, though, since anyone has set foot on the moon. 1972 was the last time. But this video sounds a bit different, how to keep you healthy in space. I think most of us are happy down here on Earth. We like the idea of brave astronauts exploring, but it sounds like they want us to live up there or something. Maybe I'm overthinking this. Uh, but the rest of this weird, weird video <laughs> makes me think I'd better overthink it. Uh, they've got some weird ideas about people and how we should live. Here's some more. So Western values will have been tested to the breaking point. Checks and balances that underpin our democracies must be, not be forgotten. Well, what does that mean? I, I don't know what it means. Do they mean Western values like freedom of speech, freedom of association, I don't know, the separation of mosque and state, things like that? All right. What about property rights? That's a Western idea. But the video started out by saying you're going to own nothing. Are they saying our Western values will be tested and we must defend them? Okay or that they will be tested and fail or be replaced. I don't know what they're saying. I like to talk about democracies and checks and balances. That means checks on power, by the way. Maybe that was some shot at Trump when this video came out four years ago. But what exactly does it mean a check and balance on power when it's billionaires and globalists who are telling us that? Very cryptic. Maybe I'm making too much about this. 
Maybe it's just gobbledygook from some social media intern. Who knows? But these are the places that cook up gobbledygook today and force it on us tomorrow. I think it's creepy and something to keep in mind if the America First president is replaced by the UN First, China First president. Stay with us for more. Despite what the media says, Joe Biden is not the president-elect. That is a term of art that refers to a president who has received the election of the Electoral College. That has not happened yet in the United States. The votes from the states have not yet been certified. It is fair to say that Joe Biden is the projected winner or that even is ahead in the counting. But to call him a president-elect is to presume an outcome Well, it would be like saying Al Gore was the president-elect. He was not. Um, There's a lot going on right now. There's a big battle over this presidency. You can imagine it's the biggest battle in the world. And right now the battle is between lawyers and vote counters. But the main war was conducted by big tech companies. In fact, they've decided not to hide themselves anymore since election day. They have appended warnings and even defamations, you could say, to Donald Trump's Twitter feed. They haven't done this to Joe Biden. They haven't done this to Democrat operatives. But big tech has simply censored the president of the United States. And what are you going to do about it? Let me show you an example of a three-word tweet by Donald Trump. Ballot counting abuse. That's it. I don't even know what it means, really. He's concerned about ballot counting abuse. He sees ballot counting abuse. He doesn't like ballot counting abuse. I don't know. It's somewhat cryptic, but the man says it. But look at that blue text underneath. Exclamation point. This claim about election fraud is disputed. And if you click on the link, it takes you to (laughs) their own opinion. Voter fraud of any kind is exceedingly rare. In the U.S., election experts confirm. But that's not a rebuttal to Donald Trump's point. I don't even know exactly what Donald Trump's point was. But Twitter has injected itself almost like we saw in some of the presidential debates where the moderator just couldn't help himself and became a debater too. Well, it won't surprise you to know that our next guest is a bit of an expert in the subject. He is the senior tech editor at Breitbart.com and an author of the book on this subject, the book being called Deleted, Big Tech's Battle to Erase the Trump Movement and Steal the Election. He joins us now via Skype. So, Alan, did Big Tech win the battle? Did they erase the Trump Movement? Well, you know, I was hoping the title of my book, the subtitle, Big Tech's Battle to Erase the Trump Movement and Steal the Election, wouldn't come true. But uh, look at what's happening. Look what's happening, you know, the past week. Look at what happened with the vote. Uh, we're talking about voter fraud, talking about ballot irregularities. These are very important things. But big tech has been stealing the election almost since Donald Trump won in 2016. This book is the book you need to read if you want the full story, because they literally started right after Trump won inside these companies. And that's not just my opinion. I interviewed sources inside Facebook, inside Google, inside Twitter, 
conservatives who are in the closet because if their views were known, they'd be driven out of the industry. They all tell me, told me that, you know, the imperative after 2016 inside these companies, the unspoken imperative was that nothing like 2016 should happen again. It was only um, in the uh, weeks and months after the election that these companies started introducing all these initiatives against misinformation and so-called fake news and so-called disinformation that didn't exist before. And they were just laying the groundwork for what we're seeing over the past few weeks, the president of the United States being censored. In the most disputed and closely fought election in living memory, one side isn't allowed to air their concerns about voting integrity and uh, the integrity of the election. You know, if if there is there are questions about voting integrity, which of course there are, there are lawsuits, there are sworn affidavits. We've seen things with our own eyes that don't make sense. If there is a doubt about the integrity of an election, having big tech companies saying, don't listen to him, don't ask questions, I can't think of anything that would whip up more conspiracy theories, more concern than these tech billionaires who are universally Democrat saying don't ask well, questions. Know, I mean, it's, it's almost it's, like they're trying to make people distrust the system. Well, it's not a conspiracy if it's out in the open. And we've seen over the past four years, powerful special interests, whether it's politicians or national governments or uh, NGOs and uh, massive media organizations demanding, demanding that these tech companies involve themselves in the democratic process, suppress an entire political movement. And that's exactly what they did over the past four years. And, uh, and now, they're, uh, now they're interfering even more as, as ballots are still being counted, they're censoring the president. This is, they want this to, to be normal. They want us to think that it's normal that these unaccountable oligarchs can shut down a sitting president, but it shouldn't be normal. That's an unacceptable abuse of power by the most powerful communications platforms in the world. And um, I will get onto just one other thing here. Social media bias, the bias of these tech companies is not like any media bias we've seen in the past because of the level of detailed knowledge that these companies have on each and every one of us. One of the things my Facebook source told me for the book is that Facebook developed a. Uh, Facebook was working on a um, a, uh, a tool to shift people people's political opinions. They called it depolarization, moving people from the far right to the center. And uh, when you consider the fact that all of these tech companies have detailed information on all of us, they know who the undecided voters are. They know what issues they're interested in. They can use that information to micro-target specific segments of the population. So if I know an undecided voter lives across the street from me, I could, you know, put up a billboard or a signpost to try and change his views. That probably wouldn't be very effective. But what big tech can do is they can identify not just one undecided voter, but all the undecided voters. And then they can put a succession of messages in front of them, articles, links, videos, and then test to see which ones are the most effective. If they aren't clicking on one link, they can put another link in front of them and another and another. And they can keep refining their system until they develop the perfect method of swaying uh, political opinions. And why wouldn't they do this? There's no law, there's no oversight that would prevent them from doing this. They have a vested interest in doing this. We saw Google being uh, discussed to lead a, lead a task force in a Biden administration. They're deeply tied to the Democrat Party, so they have an interest. Uh, they have the ability to do it, and there's no oversight, there's no regulatory regime stopping them. Yeah, it's funny, you know, uh... 
A few years ago, there was that Netflix special uh, starring the disgraced Kevin Spacey called House of Cards. And it was very exciting and it was very dramatic. Um, and in one of the seasons, uh, you know, a Google-like company shared all of its information uh, with one of the candidates. If, if I'm remembering correctly, it was with the, the Republican, which is a bit of a laugh. Um, that's not even that's not even fiction anymore, as you well, say. Well, the, the the Google s takes it upon itself to do the political re-education. We've interviewed Ryan Hartwig, the former censor for a Google sorry a Facebook contractor in Phoenix, who was a part of a team at that one facility alone making three hundred thousand deletions a day. The scary thing there, Alan, is that Ryan said this was a time limited contract because the AI, the artificial intelligence, was studying the millions and millions of censorship decisions made by this office. And then after a couple of years, they didn't need the people anymore because the AI learned, oh, take out this word, take out that image. That's what's scary. Yes, and if you think there's going to be any escape from the censorship, you know, the fact that AI is being trained to do it should, uh, should make you reconsider that because an AI is not limited by human capabilities. It can censor entire networks of people at once. If it's if it's sufficiently trained to detect the right networks of people, say a political movement, it can, uh, it can either ban them or it can suppress them invisibly in the algorithm. This is actually what happens. One of the things that uh, another one of my sources in the book uh, told me, uh, he worked for Google and he worked for Twitter, is that everyone has a quality score. A hidden quality score that determines whether you're going to be at the top of people's Facebook feeds or their Twitter feeds or Google search results. Each of the companies has this kind of scoring system. It's the way their algorithms function. And uh, in the past, it used to be the case that, well, the things that would lower your score and get your content suppressed would be things like, well, you know, are you posting viruses or malware or spam? That's pretty reasonable. But now, of course, it's are you posting disinformation or hate speech? Or did you follow people known for posting hate speech? Uh, if one of your favorite accounts gets banned on one of these spurious reasons, that affects you too. That's going to lower your quality score because you're part of that network. So these algorithms can censor entire political movements, blunt the momentum of political movements, even detect and suppress emerging political movements. And uh, they can do so invisibly and they can do it to everyone at the same time. Um, and by the way, you mentioned Ryan Hartwig. I, I talked to him recently as well. Uh, a fascinating thing is that he told me that he was told to moderate political content, not just in America, but in, in Canada, in Mexico, all around the world. You know, we had this panic over, you know, over four years about Russian interference on Facebook. The real election interferers, the real foreign interference is a handful of oligarchs in far left Silicon Valley putting their thumbs on the scale of democracy all around the world. Yeah. You know, I was saying the other day that uh, it used to be politicians would censor the media. Now the media is censoring the politicians. Uh, let's talk just for one second about uh, the company you work for, Breitbart.com. Um, Breitbart is a very large publisher, uh, huge traffic, very fast on the news, large company. And it was quite influential in 2016's election. Tell me what happened with Google simply turning off the tap, not letting people go to Right, like it was like a cliff. It's like they just, it's almost like they kicked you off the internet. Tell me what happened there. 
It, it's so brazen. And I will say, as bad as Twitter and Facebook are, they're nothing compared to Google. Google did this out in the open. They didn't care that we knew about it. Uh, six months before Election Day uh, in May, they introduced a change to their algorithm. It's called a, a core update. They do it uh, every year or so. Uh, they actually make, I was talking to uh, Dr. Robert Epstein recently, they make and he said they make thousands of changes to their algorithms every year. But this was a particularly major one. And right after that algorithm change, traffic, uh, clicks and impressions to uh, Breitbart news stories on Google searches about Joe Biden specifically, they went to zero. They didn't decline gradually. They'd previously shown a healthy up and down you know, uh, pattern of activity, but they went to zero after this change. And they stayed there all the way up until the election. Um, and you know, Google didn't even say this was an error. They said, you know, this is how our uh, this is how our algorithm changes in our search functions now. Just deal with it. So um, I'm paraphrasing there, obviously, but uh, they they didn't try and say it was a mistake. They didn't try and say it was an error. And this stayed in place all the way through to election day. So this was clear interference on behalf of one of the candidates. Um, That's incredible. No traffic to Breitbart at all. I. Um... I mean, there's still a chance that Donald Trump will win uh, the, his challenges of uh, those remaining states. I don't know. I think that if you look at some of the official odds makers in the betting houses, they say it's still a 10 to 1 chance. Um, he's, he's a long shot. It's a very long shot. Part of me is, uh, has a feeling of a missed opportunity because... We all learned, including through some of your spectacular leaks from Google, where you received a video of their staff meeting. They're televised. They called it a town hall meeting a few days after the election where they were crying, where all the senior executives said, you know, they were speaking in the first person plural with Hillary Clinton. We lost. We, we, we. There was no separation between Google and the Democrats. So that came out immediately even before Trump was inaugurated. And he has had four years to do something. And I'm not blaming the victim. But in this case, Trump chose to be the victim. Uh, for a period of time, he had tremendous strength throughout Congress and the Senate. I'd like to think he could have done something. But all he's done, I mean, he's done a few symbolic things, but he did not fix the problem, did he? Well, this was a story about many policy areas in the first few years of the Trump administration. It was totally, uh, I, I don't really blame the man himself, but I don't blame Trump himself, but his policies were totally thwarted by, um, by the deep state, by the entrenched bureaucracy that did everything it could to, uh, to keep important information, uh, you know, away from the Oval Office, to, uh, you know, slow walk actions that the administration wanted to take. There was progress in the final year of the Trump administration when he brought in John McEntee to head the personnel office, and he started getting rid of some of these deep staters and putting people in place who actually, you know, cared about the president's agenda and wanted to implement it. One of those people was Adam Candeya, a free speech lawyer who's actually sued Twitter in the past in free speech cases, actually in the Megan in the uh, Megan uh, Murphy case, uh, you're probably familiar with that one, the Canadian feminist mm. who was kicked off Twitter for uh, using the wrong gender pronouns. Yeah. Um, so he was involved in that, and now he's working for the administration, and they were working towards an FCC rulemaking change on Section 230, which is that critical law that allows these tech companies to censor with legal impunity. FCC Chairman Ajit Pai came out a few weeks before the election after the New York Post censorship, 
and said he supported that rulemaking change. There's a new uh, FCC commissioner up before the Senate Commerce Committee to be confirmed next week. And he's also in favor of reigning in the tech giants. So um, if Trump had won a second term, there would have been a, uh, and he still might, uh, there will be a, uh, a majority on the FCC in favor of reigning in the tech giants. But giants. But uh, you're absolutely right. It could have happened a lot sooner. And I think it probably happened a little bit too late. Yeah. Well, 95% of Donald Trump's term is gone. He has just over two months left. Um, and I can imagine if the bureaucracy has been slow walking things so far, uh, they'll feel that they can do so with even greater impunity given that they believe Trump is a lame duck. If he pulls it out of the fire and wins his second term, I would imagine he would have some vengeance on his mind. But uh, we must go with the odds makers and say that's a long shot. Well, Alan, it's great to talk to you again. I regret that your prophecies have come true. The book is called Deleted, Big Tech's Battle to Erase the Trump Movement and Steal the Election. I think it worked. I think it worked. Folks, if you want a copy of Alan's book, you can find the Amazon link under this video. Take care, my friend, and I hope that we both stay on the internet. Um, I hope we're not thrown down a memory hole, as you point out, Google did to searches about Joe Biden from um, Breitbart. Good luck to you. Thanks, Ezra. Good luck. All right, thank you. There you have it, Alan Bokari from Breitbart.com. Stay with us. Hey, welcome back on my show last night. Jer writes, the media does not call the election. The General Services Administration does. They have not. This election is far from over. Al Gore was president-elect for 37 days until the recount. The riders are only on standby. If Trump wins the election with the majority of legal ballots, I fear things will get nasty. Well, that's the thing. By the media saying, oh, it's a done deal, done deal. They're setting it up so that if Trump does win fair and square, that will be called the steal. They're very good at projecting what they do on their opponents. Warwick writes, American governments were bought and paid for by corporations and banks a long time ago. To quote Mark Twain, if voting made any difference, they wouldn't let us do it. It did make a difference in 2016, which is why they set about undoing it this time. Bruce writes, it also speaks volumes that Iran and China are delighted with the supposed Biden win. Oh yeah, and Venezuela too, and uh, Justin Trudeau. Of course, most liberal countries that hated having Trump say, well, give us a fair trade deal, lift your load militarily. Yeah, the rest of the world that's hostile to America is thrilled, but the other democracies out there, those who value freedom, they're less than thrilled. Well, my friends, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.